This time on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you how to stop walking around with your head up your ass and get some situational awareness. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer, and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going Going across the peak. Rich Brown, what's going on, brother? Just sipping on a little water and talking to you, my friend. Yep, I hear that, man. I'm, uh, well, I wish I was drinking water. Probably should be drinking water, but but I'm not. Why are you drinking water today, man? Well, like I told you <clears throat> before we got on air, um, I don't know, my urine's a little darker than it than I would like for it to be, so... I am not drinking enough water, so we're going to rectify that right now. How many, are you a big water drinker? Um, I'd like to say yes, but not necessarily. I kind of, I kind of come and go in phases into that, man. I um, I find that having a water bottle, like around and in my hand, and you know, with me throughout the day, makes me drink a hell of a lot more water than I otherwise would. There's really no negative downside to it. Um, and there's a ton of positive benefits, man. It, it thins your blood. It makes your bowels work more easily. It flushes out your kidneys and just all these incredible benefits. But, uh, I probably should, I, I I'm drinking a lot of water right now. I probably should drink more and attempt to make that more of a uh, durable habit. I'm writing down an episode on water, <laughs> making a note. I think I, I think I started one in the uh, in the notes there somewhere. I, I thought we did. We may talked about it. not just drinking water, but let's talk about water and all kinds of stuff. Because there's a that's a really weird uh, molecule, I guess. When you come right down to it, yeah, it behaves yeah. very bizarrely. <clears throat> but anyway, what are you drinking, my brother? Brother, I'm drinking a beer from Uenta Brewing. Again, one of my absolute favorite breweries, Salt Lake City-based brewery called Noble Nectar. We picked this up. We've seen this for weeks and weeks and weeks at the beer store. We've been kind of skeptical about it because it, it says it's sweetened with honey, and it has, I think, maybe some percentage of honey in there. They add a little bit of honey to it, and I I didn't know how that tastes, but we said, screw it, let's go for it, and... Um, it's actually pretty good, man. It's it's a crisp. I'm sorry, it's not crisp. It's a fairly light beer, but with a uh, kind of a shocking sweetness to it. And it's about an eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. But it is, uh, man, just what you'd want on a hot day. And we finally uh, managed to break zero up here in Duluth. So uh, I'm going to consider that a warm day and have a warm day beer. Did, did I have one of those the last time I was up in Duluth? I don't think so, man. Okay. This is, well, I don't. You may have. This is the first time I've ever I've ever purchased it. Okay, I guess not. Uh, so, what'd you do this week? <clears throat> well, um, not a whole lot. I got some new tires on my car. That time was uh, that time was coming. So, ah, went ahead and bit the bullet, and uh, that's man. Never ceases to amaze me how expensive those things are. But I guess small price to pay, considering that your life rides on those things. I uh, did my vehicle PMs, of course. Kai Mando and I have just gotten the habit of every Sunday morning getting up and knocking that out. Uh, I just wrapped up uh, a two-week block of dry practice. I was working on malfunctions for this two-week period, 
and uh, I'm feeling pretty good about my ability to clear any type of malfunction that might come my way. And at a listener's suggestion, I was staying in a hotel this week. A listener wrote in and said, hey, man, I hear you're looking for a sewing kit for your EDC bag. Go check the front desk at a hotel. They usually have some, and they'll just give them away. And sure enough, man, I got a pretty damn sweet little sewing kit from uh, the hotel I was staying at. Nice. Look at that. So, again, uh, Rich at Across the Peak, or they can probably use one of the contact forms on our acrossthepeak.com, right? Yeah, man. Be in touch with us. We love hearing from you guys. I think we I think we beat that up pretty good in one of the one of the recent episodes but yeah man we we freaking love hearing from you guys yeah we do uh, <clears throat> as far as me it was uh you know gtl as usual gym tan laundry <laughs> is that right <laughs> no i'm just kidding uh i was kidding with my wife lisa about that yesterday uh you know we were out uh we went and did like two hours of pt and we're going by like uh and it was like a literally a, a uh the gym and the laundromat and the um and the tanning bed companies were all right next to each other i said there we go babe gtl let's get it done <laughs> there you go but man. no seriously yeah seriously i lifted ran shot bjj yoga just matter of fact just left yoga about an hour ago uh as far as shooting man i gotta give a shout out to my boy andrew come up with a really cool uh shooting drill i'll have to send it to you justin have you give it a try but uh so that was pretty cool shooting that new drill this week. Um, other than that, man, that's about it. Yeah, send that drill on over, man. Me and Kai Mando will be hitting the range uh, Sunday. So, Can you um, shoot out to 50 yards where you shoot? Yeah. With a handgun? Yeah. Okay, yep. I can shoot out to 100. Okay, awesome, yeah. Um, well, so with this 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 episode, you know. Um, actually, before we, before we go into it, Rich, um, let's, uh, let's do our weekly plugs, man. Hey, guys. Check out the Across the Peak store. I think that's a sh- that's at shop.acrossthepeak.com, or you can just go to acrossthepeak.com. Check out the uh, link right up in there. Um, we've got, I don't know, probably half a dozen T-shirts. We've got a couple of hooded, hooded sweatshirts. We've got coffee mugs. We've got stickers coming very soon. Rich and I just got proofs of uh, stickers this weekend. A couple of you guys have asked for stickers, and hell, we want stickers, and I actually put one on my car, man. I am fairly anti-bumper sticker, but I put an Across Peak sticker on my car, which I guess I'm a stakeholder here, so probably I should be willing to do that. But <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, those tumblers, by the time this episode comes out, should be available on the store. So check that out, guys. Uh, all the stuff there is good quality merchandise. Rich and I are wearing it and using it right now. And uh, yeah, if there's something you want and you don't see... Another good reason to get in touch. Yeah, totally. And uh, I'm going to go in, and I, I was going in to buy some more swag, and I noticed there's a couple of colors missing that my wife wanted, so I'm going to add a couple more colors in there. So make sure if you've looked at the store, go back and check it out uh, again, and I, there might be a little bit more in there for you. Anyway, anything other than that, uh, Justin, before we get into the today's topic? No, man, just got to just gotta plug our self-serving uh, <laughs> advertisements there. That's right. Um, <laughs> All right. So, so what are we doing this week, man? Well, I, you know, situational awareness. It is the self defense community really does itself a disservice by just using these words that are kind of hollow at this point because hardly anyone really puts some meat on the bones of what they mean when they say situational awareness and to some degree avoidance. And and that's going to be the topic of discussion today. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to getting into this, man. Um, 
This is one that you and I have been working on for a long time because this is a really big topic. It's a really squishy topic that's hard to define. But you and I both agree this is a really important topic. And, and, and I, hell, man, how long have we been talking about this episode? Uh, since at least September? I, yeah. Yeah, we, we've, we've been struggling with a way to get our hands around this. But, yeah, this is thrown out in the self-defense community an awful lot. And we don't want to just be the same thing of saying keep your head on a swivel and whatnot, right? No, we don't because I think that's uh, – or trust your gut. I think there's some danger to comments like that uh, that that people can't. Uh, you know, They don't have the ability because they haven't had the life experiences to trust their gut or maybe there's – there's some other biases at play that we'll talk about. So getting, even coming up with notes <clears throat> that we could follow for this episode was not very easy because we wanted to give people, I think the listener, something that would kind of work everywhere, uh, but some things will not work everywhere, and we'll, and we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Uh, all right, man. Do you have uh, do you have anything else leading into this before we actually get into uh, some tangible ways to foster your situational awareness? No, let's do it. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking through the notes here. Do we have a definition of what situational awareness is? Do we want to try to pin that down right here at the beginning? I, I think we can, let's, because, but it's kind of squashy and squishy and squashy. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. Um, I, I think it's being... Dude, I'm just going to take a stab at it here, and we can go back and forth on this a little bit. But being aware of what's going on around you at a micro level, meaning... What's in the room, the building, the block of the street that you're on, what, what's happening there, and being aware of what the baseline is, what's what's normal, and also being aware of outliers in the in the baseline and what's not normal, what you know, maybe maybe some cause for concern or cause for a little bit more of your attention. And then on a more macro uh, macro level, being aware of I, I, I guess the general atmosphere in this town city state country you happen to be in uh being aware of how, you know i've been to thailand when there was a, a a military coup going on um being aware of what what's going on in that whole country is very important because that impacts everything there i've also been um in some other countries where there was very very tense diplomatic situations going on that impacted the entire country um, so, so being aware of everything that's going on on a macro level and then being aware of what's going on immediately around you at a ma- micro level, would you, uh, you <laughs> rambled on a, a lot of, I, I wish I could have distilled that down into something a little cleaner. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm reading here off of, uh, the interwebs. It says, uh, <clears throat> situational awareness is the perception of environmental events and I'm sorry, let me start this again. Situational awareness is the perception of environmental elements and events with respect to time or space, the comprehension of their meaning, and the projection of their future status. Mm. How you like well, that? Well, it's, it's definitely cleaner than mine. Um, a lot well, of, go ahead. Yeah, go, no, I was just saying, I, I like it, man. I'm going to say it one more time. It's the perception of environmental elements and events like you said your coup with respect to time and space like where you're at and the comprehension of their meaning like relative to you and the projection of where that may go for future events so i'm like okay that's 
that's pretty good. But also situational awareness, it, what you and I are going to discuss today isn't something like situational awareness with regard to working in a manufacturing plant or uh, as it re- revolves around the supply chain and logistics. Because I think that those industries and, and uh, many other industries, whether it's medical, healthcare, whatever, we're talking about it in the context of self-defense as far as I understand. Is that correct? I, I, I would tend to agree, yeah. Or, or not necessarily just self-defense, but personal safety. Um, yes. Back to your manufacturing plant example, if I walked into a manufacturing plant right now, everything would be loud and kind of I'd kind of be on alert because everything is strange and new to me, and it would take me a couple of weeks to be in there to understand what's normal and to understand if there's something occurring that's not normal. Does that make sense? So even in even in a situation like that, if a machine's running rampant and about to explode, like I want to know that, even though that's not a self defense issue, yeah, so to speak. And some of this reminds me of you know, uh, like heuristics. Some of this stuff you have to have almost that heuristic level of understanding uh, in order to to be there. Like the person that walks into that plant, like my dad put in Japanese conveyors for years, you know, he feels very at home inside one of those manufacturing plants because he's been spent decades of his life in there. You or I would be like, oh shit, man, any of these things could chop my body to pieces. <clears throat> what I was going to say is since we are going to talk more in the context of uh, safety and protection and things of this nature, I think, and we don't have this in the notes, I'll have to go back in and add it. Um, Jeff Cooper's color code system, which has been bastardized, but I think probably given the listener that's not familiar with that, a little bit of understanding of it may go a long way. What do you think? Yeah. And before we go further, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that Jeff Cooper's color code system was never intended as a way to conceptualize situational awareness. And there's been several articles about this. Most recently, there was a good one by Claude Werner. Uh, Are you familiar with him? No, huh? He he was an instructor uh, at, um, what's that shooting school down in Georgia? Bill Rogers shooting course. Mm -hmm. Have you ever shot a Rogers range? I have. Incredibly challenging range. He's one of the very few people in the world, if not the only person to completely clean that range. And I think he's completely cleaned it with a revolver. Uh, Just a badass shooter, um, former Special Forces officer, um, older gentleman now. um, Man, maybe we should get him on at some point. But anyhow, he wrote a big article about how Jeff Jeff Cooper's color codes were never intended to be a system of situational awareness. They were intended to define a state of being in relation to a threat. So um, anyway, I want to point out that that was the original intent of that, but I don't think Cooper's color codes are completely useless for conceptualizing situational awareness either. And if we want to call this something different, if we want to call this the situational awareness color codes, just so we're not, you know, using Jeff Cooper stuff for something that's not intended to be used for, we can do that. But I still think there's value there. Would you agree? Oh, there's a tremendous amount of value, whether we lump it under the heading of situational awareness or not. I think it definitely has has a place there. And have you ever seen the video of him discussing this back in like the early 70s? Yeah, I sure have. I've also read his Principles of Personal Defense. Have you ever read that? No, huh? Uh, it's a it's a very slim little volume, and a lot of it deals with situational awareness, knowing what's going on, 
around you. Uh, man, I, I, I got a feeling we're going to talk about a lot of books in this one. I'm going to start keeping notes <laughs> of them. So when we build the show notes, we got them. Yeah. <clears throat> so White, in his four-code color code system, is relaxed, completely unaware of your surroundings. Um, maybe this is the mode you're in when you're at home watching Netflix with your honey, but it shouldn't be what you are out in the community. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Uh, con- Condition white is completely unfocused on anything. You're just, man, you're like your head's in your phone. You're sitting on the couch or your lady. You're, you're not, you're inwardly focused, not aware of anything. Yeah. Really. And then we move up the ladder to yellow, which is, uh, you know, you're still somewhat relaxed, but you're definitely aware and this, uh, I've read somewhere that this, maybe Colonel Cooper felt that this was the minimally acceptable level that you could operate in public with, especially if you were carrying a firearm. Yeah. Also, this is the only level that he considered it to sustainable to operate under for long periods of time without being, without becoming hypervigilant or without just exhausting yourself. And I think he refers to condition yellow as an unfocused alert. You're not focused on any specific thing, but you are alert to what's going on around you, right? Yeah. And this is, uh, now that we're discussing these, I think there's a OODA loop tie in here too, uh, that we can come back to after we get this taken care of. But orange is, uh, you've got a potential threat. There's somebody or something that has basically your attention. Now, of course, you don't want to get target fixation and just drill in on this guy and, and lose your peripheral vision, but you're making attempts to verify whether this is truly a threat or not, and if necessary, you, you begin your uh, evasion process, right? I, I Yeah, I agree. So Condition Orange is you've identified something that, for whatever reason, captures your attention, and you're going to kind of narrow that to fo- narrow your... I guess, field of view, field of attention to that individual or that event or whatever it is that's, uh, that's happening. Um, and then we go into condition red. Do you want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah. You know, this is okay. This, this potential threat has just moved up into, this is an actual no shit threat and we are executing whatever necessary processes we, we need to do, whether that's you know, running, fighting, you know, fight, flee, whatever, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I would encourage people to go a little bit more in depth on these. We'll we'll try to find some additional reading on these, but there's uh, specific levels of heart rate that are associated with these. And you, some instructors, some, some schools of thought assign a condition black, which is your heart rate pegs out at like 160 to 220 or something crazy. And you're basically immobilized by fear or unable to... Um, you know, unable to execute mo- uh, movements like draw on your gun and whatever, whatever the case may be. Yes. Yeah. I've seen the black as well. And, uh, you know, system overload or whatever. <clears throat> I don't really, I mean, nobody should be there. You know, you should be uh, planning to never get in that situation. But the, the point I was going to say about the OODA loop by um, Colonel uh, Boyd, I think it was John Boyd, you know, was observe, orient, decision, action. So observing would be maybe yellow, right? And then orange, you're orientating toward the threat. Um, and the decision, we're making some decisions in orange, what we're going to do. And then action, like red, we're taking action. Do you see that tie-in, or am I making more of it than probably should be? Well, 
I, I do see the tie. I do see how we can use that. Um, I think the uh, I think the OODA loop, as Boyd defined it, was a it was a I think a, a little bit more complex oh, yeah. thing as it applied to uh, fighter pli- fighter pilots in um, in dogfights. Well, right? I, it, you can make the OODA loop as complex as you want it, which is one of the things I like about it. it it's completely scalable to freaking anything, um, and if we haven't. <clears throat> that book on Colonel Boyd's life is one of the most one of the, my favorite books by far, and we'll have to talk about that. I'll have to do another sh- a whole show on the OODA loop and John Boyd. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea at all, man. So, all right, so we've talked about the OODA loop. We've talked about the color codes, which are a couple of different maybe models, frameworks you could hang situational awareness onto or your state, your level of situational awareness uh, where where do we go now, man? Well, well, let's talk about some of the tangible ways because I think a lot of the bullshit that is overused in the community, you know, keep your head on a swivel, always be looking around uh, in the notes here. You say count every person that comes into the, the restaurant. I've, I've seen, you know, count the people with hats on. Like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Why is that important? But you hear a lot of stuff like that. So let's talk about how we actually foster a good sense of situational awareness. And I think one of the ways that you do that is by developing uh, or becoming aware of, probably a better way to say it, the cultural baseline within which you operate. Yeah, I would not disagree with that at all, Rich. And I think understanding what your cultural baseline is wherever you happen to be, and it may be different if you Uh, hop on a plane tomorrow and fly to Thailand or hop on a plane next week and fly to Saudi Arabia, you're going to find yourself in very, very different cultural baselines. And you have to be aware of what that is in order to understand what's unusual, what's different. Kind of like the working in a factory example we talked about, all those, you know, loud noises these machines are making and all these puffs of steam coming out of these hydraulics and whatever, they all look out of the ordinary to me. But uh, so I, I have no way to be situationally aware in there because I have no idea what's normal and what's not, right? Yeah, one of the things that happened when um, I was when I retired is they knew that I was retiring to a farm, so a bunch of my Marines bought me a brand new pair of overalls. So when we got here to Crossville, Tennessee, I'm not from here, and uh, I put my brand new overalls on and we head into town and we get to this restaurant and this guy walks up and says, uh, "What are you running for?" I said, excuse me? He goes, what, what are you running for? I'm not running. I'm sitting. He's like, no, no, no. What what office are you running for? I'm like, I'm not running for office. And he said, oh, because every time one of you fancy fellers comes in here with your brand new overalls on, you're always trying to get us to vote for you. So I just thought I'd come up and ask you what you're running for. <laughs> uh, that's a good story. That's a damn good story, man. For, yeah, for understanding the cultural baseline. And now that he's mentioned that to me, that was, gosh, that was seven years ago. <clears throat> you just don't see people in town with brand new overalls on like I had. But one of the things, speaking of uh, this cultural baseline, I don't know if it, the the non LEO uh, listener will be familiar with it, but have you ever heard of a Terry stop? No. Okay. Uh, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and I'm going to butcher this. So if there's any legal scholars out there, just set that aside for a second. Here's how I remember it from from the police academy. Uh, there was this police officer named Terry, and he sees three men uh, dressed in long coats on this one corner where there's, you know, why are they wearing long coats? Why are they dressed that way? They're all acting suspicious. 
And I think whatever ethnicity these men were, were was not common to this particular affluent area that he was the beat cop in. And he was been working this beat for years. So he walks up to the men. They hadn't done anything. Told them to put their hands on the wall, patted them down, and they're all three armed. And lo and behold, they were fixing to rob the bank. And <clears throat> so then it came to, was this stop legal? And, of course, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the determination was, given his experience uh, and the conditions, it was a legal stop. Their rights were not violated because using uh, the knowledge he had and at the time of what was normal and abnormal in that community, i.e. the cultural baseline, what he did was appropriate. Oh, that, yeah, that's interesting. And and I, so I imagine like— I'm, Yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead, man. All I was going to say, Justin, is what I'm getting at here, why am I telling this story, is when you're looking, be like Officer Terry, man. I want you to make that mental Terry stop. That, that's what they call it now. Uh, you know, And it's the Terry stop and frisk. People may have heard it that way because he actually did stop them and frisk them. But I want you to mentally stop them and mentally frisk them at first anyway. Sorry. No, no, no. That's a absolutely, man. That is a great point. And to do that, that guy had to have that knowledge ahead of time. He had to know, understand what was normal in his area and what was not. So, you know, a couple of specific examples of that. What do average people wear in your area? I'll just tell you, as an American, pretty much anywhere in the world, nobody really dresses like us, man. Everybody dresses differently than we dress everywhere you go. And you know, there's kind of a specific look that I associate with the the uh, continental Europe. There's a specific look that I kind of mentally associate with, you know, the British Isles. There's a specific look that I associate with uh, Southeast Asia or mainland Asia. All these places have different looks. And to your point of, about the overalls, different looks depending on where you go in the country, right? If you come up here to Minnesota in your overalls, you might not look out of place. But if you fly to New York City... Dude, how many people are wearing overalls in New York City? Almost nobody. And on that, I think I sent you a picture. Man, God, it's probably more than a year ago. On one of these uh, cool guy pages on Instagram, it showed a couple of uh, Navy SEALs. Their faces were blurred out. And uh, they're wearing, like, tight muscle shirts, uh, jeans, gun belts, uh, you could see that they're wearing plate carriers and like baseball hats, and it said, "Yeah, a couple of pipe hitters getting ready for low vis operations." I'm like, "You're not low vis at all, man. If you're wearing <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? I mean, if you're low vis, you should look exactly like the people in that community or that location looks, right?" Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rich. And th- this show isn't about blending in. Maybe that should be a completely different show, but blending in can be really, really tough to do because. I wear the things that I like, the things that are comfortable me, to me, especially shoes, man. It's hard to, I don't want to think about having to wear some other country's particular style or fashion of shoes, but I do think there's an instructive example out of that. And, you know, uh, even though the main focus of this episode is not how to blend in, the first step to blending in is knowing what everybody else looks like. And, and that's the same thing we're doing here. Um, I guess let's talk, like, why is it important to know what normal dress is in your, in your well, day-to-day life? Well, yeah, I, I'm gonna, I wanna, do want to talk about that, but I'm, I, just as you were talking, Justin, you reminded me of something. Like, 
and you and I have talked about this before. Do you know what four shooters in a in a freaking car look like? They look like four shooters in a car, or two men in a car. Yeah, it 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 looks odd. And, and one of the things we did on recruiting is we would exploit these human patterns. Like we would do a salt and pepper team. We would have uh, a black guy and a white guy, especially if you're going to go into the deep south. You know, where you wouldn't want to send two white guys in Marine Corps recruiting. Um, you know, in Marine Corps uniforms into an all-black high school. And you may not want to send two black recruiters into a southern all-white high school. So we would try to mix it up and do salt-and-pepper teams. And you'd, and if you were trying to blend in, you know, you might want to have a man and a woman. But being aware of these things are important. How? Uh, what is the average person aware in your community? Couldn't tell you. I don't live where you live. So you got to figure that out and start creating and becoming aware of these baselines. How do the average people talk? You know, in New York City or, or Jersey or whatever, it might be normal for men to call each other a cocksucker. If you try that here in East Tennessee, I promise you somebody's going to smack you in the teeth with a two-by-four. There will be a fight. That's not— Yeah, some, yeah. yeah you're going to get a wood shampoo, pal. Yeah, that's not average, man. So you got to be aware of where you are. Like uh, in this other business I'm, I'm involved in, we hired a guy from New York, and he has these little quirky things about him, man, that just— really piss a lot of us Southerners off, and I've had to talk to him about it. Like, you, you can't do that down here, man. You're going to alienate yourself quickly. We don't talk to each other like that. We don't interact with each other like that. It's, it's not going to fly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is that is important, man. Um, how do average people stand? How do they, how do they move? Um, I, I, man, look around your surroundings. Look how people, when you're at the bank, look at people in line and how they stand. Look at people at the laundromat. Look at people at the gym. Look at the people standing in line at the grocery store. Um, what's normal and what's not? Well, I, again, that kind of depends on where you live. Culturally, uh, we have, in the United States, we have a personal bubble. I think it's about three feet. Is that, does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I'll tell you from firsthand experience, that is not the same Everywhere you go in the world, if you get in line in the Middle East to anything and you're standing three feet behind the person in front of you, you're never going to get up to that counter, up to that booth, whatever you're trying to get to, because everybody in the world is going to jump in front of you with their six inches of personal space. Yeah. And and our bubbles shrink and become bigger depending on where we are. Like if we're in an ATM machine, the bu- bubble may get bigger because people realize that, you know, I'm punching in pin numbers and I'm getting out money. And if you step inside of what my normal social bubble is, it's going to draw a lot of attention. Or if we're, like you said, in line at a grocery store, we might, you know, close our bubbles in way closer and let that person really get close to us. So these bubbles um, get bigger and smaller depending, you know, with context. But I will tell you this, a stranger that, that does not respect your personal space does not respect you. They may view you as an opportunity, um, and maybe we should talk about the different types of predation out there in that context. Yeah, yeah, go into it, man. Yeah. <clears throat> now, there's a lot on this when you talk about pre- human predators, and I've, I've seen a lot of different things, but I've, I keep coming back to the idea that there are resource predators and process predators. So, Resource predators are somebody that they see you as a resource, whether that's your car or your money or your watch or your jewelry or whatever. Uh, They see you as a resource to to obtain something, and then they're moving on. Uh, A resource predator, so so let's talk about the process predator. 
because this isn't a short a show about predation, but I want you to understand that we're being situationally aware in order to be aware of the predators in our community. The process predator is someone that really delights in the process. This might be a rapist. This might be a serial killer. You know, you are the resource, not something you own, but you are. And the process by which they prey upon you is the thing that really drives and motivates them. Have you heard of anything different than that? One thing very, very close to this is the difference between when we get into serial killers, specifically product killers versus process killers. So product killers, uh, like Jeffrey Dahmer is a good example. He, um, his most intense sexual desire was to have sex with corpses. So he had to get blackout drunk to be able to kill somebody. He He really, really hated that, but that's what he in his mind, needed to do to get to that end state of having that product, which is that body laying on his bed or whatever. And then there's process killers who love the process. They are not going to take the body with them They're not, or, or hang on to it long term or whatever. And I can't think of a good example of a process killer, but they really just enjoy that process of going through BTK, be a good example of yeah. going through the preparations of you know, conducting whatever surveillance or whatever, then actually committing that act and doing whatever post um, post act things that that give them whatever you know twisted satisfaction in their brain they get from that. That's very very similar to resource resource versus process predation more yeah. generally. I think. So I think if, if the listener is interested in that, uh, you can check out the show notes or definitely do a little googling around on that. Uh, I think un- the more you understand what you're up against, the maybe better prepared you are. Uh, when you encounter those people. But I think understanding, uh, I guess probably we can't talk enough about as you walk around after listening to this show, I want you to really consider what is normal and develop this line of, okay, this is, I'm in a convenience store. This is how people behave. I've been at hundreds of convenience stores to buy my gas or buy a, a monster drink or whatever. This is normal. But when I see something either above or below this baseline, I need to really, it needs to have my attention. I need to be moving from yellow into orange and really focusing on what's going on here and making decisions because so I understand how people walk, how they speak. Are they just hanging out? What does two guys or three guys or a guy and a girl look like when they're just chilled out, hanging out, right? Yep. A uh, good example of walking. I, actually, I'll give a couple here. In the Middle East, uh, the Middle East and Central Asia, which I've traveled to extensively, people walk very differently than Americans walk. It's not uncommon at all to see men walking down the street with their hands clasped behind their back and their heads kind of bowed a little bit looking down. Generally, Americans will stand up a little straighter. Their hands aren't clasped behind their backs. Their hands are generally relaxed at their sides. Uh, another example, I think I told you a few weeks ago, I had to fly down to um, Virginia. I had to go to Charlottesville, Virginia, which is huge percentage of that town is college students. And I had a, I had another trainer down there with me, a, a retired special forces guy. He and I would go out and walk around the street. We're walking fast. We're walking kind of with a sense of purpose, head up. Um, and everyone around us has earbuds on. If if their head is just not completely in their phone, they're certainly not, don't have any kind of focus. Um, so like, yeah, there, there's a multitude of ways this can look and you need to kind of identify what's normal in your community, in your 
region of the country and your country if you happen to be somewhere other than the U.S. And like the the overarching goal of this is to allow you to identify what falls outside of that baseline. Yeah. Uh, another one is conducting commerce, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a farmer's market here in East Tennessee, it looks very different from a market in the Middle East. And, um, you know, if you try to take those same cultural norms and mores that, that maybe I grew up with at farmer's markets in East Tennessee and apply them, when you get to the Middle East, like, oh, this is not right. Well, it may be right. It may, everything may be completely normal and natural, but you don't know that until you start piecing together that baseline because in order for you to navigate those uh, cultural mores successfully, you have to know what they are. And, um, you know, the Marine Corps, I think, has done a better job with putting together, you know, helping guys uh, and gals develop what is normal in the communities that they're sending these Marines to. And one of the really good books on this topic you're definitely going to want to check out is going to be Left of Bang. I don't know if we've mentioned it in another podcast, but uh, a really good book on understanding uh, what exactly we're talking about here today. Yeah, I, I it's been a long time since I've read that book. Um, but yeah, would strongly recommend. So I think the next thing we're going to talk about, Rich, is body language. Um and I'm going to throw out a, a plug for another book. I feel like we're going to plug several books in this, but have you ever read a book called What Everybody is Saying by Joe Navarro? Mm-mm, no. So Joe's a retired FBI agent. Uh, many, many, many interrogations or interviews uh, under his belt. Um, he became something of an expert in body language and what it suggests. And just to be clear, there are, you know, if I were conducting an interview with you and you exhibited some sign of discomfort, it doesn't prove that I've caught you in a lie. You may be uncomfortable for any number of other reasons. You may have some external stress on you. You may, the chair that I gave you just may be really uncomfortable, uh, but it does give me uh, things to start, uh, things that fall outside of your baseline, which I have to develop first. I can say, oh, Rich showed some discomfort when I asked this question. Is it about the chair? Is it that I give him an uncomfortable chair or is he uncomfortable with that line of questioning? And then I can I can follow up on that uh, later. But I have to, again, just like cultural baselining uh, to, to be able to use this, you kind of have to develop a, a, a baseline generally. Now, that's getting very specific with it. We're going to talk more about generalities, um, but I really recommend that book, man. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. And by the way, I don't know if I told you, I just finished uh, Sebastian Younger's Tribe that you uh, have recommended a couple of times, and, and it's really, really good. And, and, and you know, uh, Justin and I, I've read a lot, a lot of books where we're not recommending everything we've read for a reason, but the ones we do recommend, you, you might want to pick them up on Audible and, and listen to them on your commute, and, and that sounds like a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the cool thing about... Uh, becoming a, a student of a body a body language is you can start using it right away, man. You can just every time you have a conversation with somebody, you can start uh, kind of looking at what their body does, and and it's a really fascinating thing to study, man. Yeah, and uh, when when we teach our um, communications classes, you know, there's that often misunderstood uh, part about you know. I don't know what I'm going to screw the numbers up, but like 50 something percent of your communications is done through your body language, 30 something percent from your tone, rate of speech, et cetera. And then like some minuscule, minuscule part is actually the words that you use. 
And um, I have these little techniques I do to to uh, to prove that in the classroom to the student. But I, I, you can find plenty of this stuff on YouTube. I'm I'm sure I won't go into to that because I really can't. This is an audible podcast. But body language does give us a window into what that other person's mind is thinking. You know, it's it's telling us what their current emotional state is, and this may be in some way telegraphing actions that they're considering. So body language is really a great early warning device that every single human being has. And if you know how to read it, it is powerful. So let's go into some of the ones that uh, you and I have put together in our notes here, Justin. Go ahead. Okay. And these would pertain specifically to maybe a criminal actor that's thinking about robbing that store you're in or robbing you or, you know, conducting some sort of illicit activity. And um, a good one, uh, one that's really easy to spot is looking around or hypervigilance. It's not normal for someone to be looking over their shoulder like like someone's going to come around the corner any minute and get them. In fact, most of us will walk from point A to point B and never once glance behind us unless a truck backfires or we hear a siren or something. So that, uh, you know, looking around hypervigilance glancing around quickly with I, I would I would say almost a jerky kind of movement yeah um, that should that should cue you in that that person's concerned about something yeah, exactly and and this could be uh, brought about by you know a, a heightened state that they're in whether their their uh, metabolic rates are up their heart rate is up and they're just nervous but there's also something called the witness glance and it's very similar to the one that you just talked about, Justin, and I'll put it in a context a little bit. When an otherwise stranger comes up and asks you for, can I get a light for, and maybe he's got a cigarette out, or they want to ask you for the time, or they're asking you for directions or whatever, they shouldn't be looking around. The only reason they're looking over their shoulder or looking beyond you or whatever is for witnesses. Have you ever heard of that one? I sure have, yeah. And um, there's an article I'm going to link to in these show notes by Greg Elifritz. Um, I've reached out to Greg to get him on the show. He, I feel like there's several things he, he it'd be great to have him on about, but it's how to spot a bad guy, a comprehensive look at body language and pre-assault indicators. And yeah, man, I, I think it's pretty widely accepted that a criminal that's about to rob you, stab you, rob that bank that you're standing in line in or whatever, they're going to be experiencing some psychological pressure, right? There, There is much greater than a zero risk that they're going to get hurt, killed, or arrested. So they're going to be experiencing some psychological distress, and that's going to leak out through those actions. Yeah. The next one I want to talk about is the facial wipe. Um, and there's a, a lot of interesting research on why this is. So imagine... You know, you're having a heated conversation with someone or or maybe not, and they reach up and they wipe their face down. A lot of times I've read that this is in conjunction with this, uh, the epinephrine, norepinephrine, the adrenal hormones that are having that response where the, the blood is rushing from the extremities and um, getting around the, the torso for the fight that they're fixing to get in. It, it could also be that, you know, they're trying to hide their intent. It could also be... Um, some of the other ones that go along with the face is when people reach up and cup their mouth to hide their mouth as they're talking or they're itching their nose. And this is due to capillary constriction due to blood pressure changes from the adrenal responses like we talked about. The facial wipe, if you're not familiar with it, Tom Cruise 
uses it in a lot of his movies when he's, you know, showing that he's really agitated or pissed off. So um, be on the lookout for that next time you're watching a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know when the last time I watched a, a Tom Cruise movie is, but maybe I need to. Maybe I need to check that out. Man. You need to run. Them, um, you need to run them down to Blockbuster and get one of those VHS tapes with Tom Cruise on it. And check it out. <laughs> I saw a Blockbuster the other day, man. What? And I, I, I thought they were completely out of business. Maybe it was just a story that they didn't have the damn money to take the sign down off of. I don't know. Yeah. I, an industry that should have uh, been a little more situationally aware. Well, well Reed Hastings, uh, you know, the CEO for Netflix. I want to say he he took the idea to Blockbuster. And it was going to maybe, I think, sell it to him for a song or partner with him. And they told him to get the fuck out. They, they had that market figured out. And he's laughing all the way to the bank. Man, history repeats itself. Like, you see this over and over. Nantucket whaling ships, man. Oh, we killed all the whales in the Atlantic. We'll just go to the Pacific with no forethought about what the fuck happens when the whales run out in the Pacific or what happens when uh, crude oil is discovered. You know, like, yeah. no... No planning for anything in the future other than just the moment right in front of your face. But anyway, um, so where were we? The witness glance, the facial wipe, uh, moving much faster than everyone else on the sidewalk as if that person's on a mission. That's an awesome, awesome example. And I'm guilty of that, man. I am a fast walker. Kai Mando's a fast walker. And man, so my parents are in town and it, it, the, it cool it or cooled off. It warmed up enough the other day that we could get out a little bit, and we were uh, walking around a little downtown area here, dude. The every probably every fifteen seconds we had to be like, oh, oh, oh slow down, slow down, because they're not fast walkers. And, and uh, but yeah, if you see someone walking like they're uh, just on a mission, just hauling down the sidewalk, eyes locked in a particular direction, you better look out, man, because they're about to throw a punch on somebody or something. Yeah. And, and another one is uh, the targeted glance. We used to hear a lot about this as a police officer. If someone is um, looking at your sidearm, let's say, if you're um, a police officer, that's all bad. If they're glancing at your hands, if they're looking at your belt line, if you're a woman and they're staring at your breasts, if they're looking at those badass uh, old school Jordans you got on and just can't take their eyes off your shoes that could be a bad thing and on the targeted glance one time I made a mistake of a friend and I uh, went into this we didn't know it at the time uh, this biker bar and we're going to get a beer and as soon as we walked in we're like oh shit you know but now you're several feet into the store into the uh, bar so we're like okay we'll get our one beer don't want to be impolite and then we'll get the hell out of here and while my friend is ordering I've got my back to the bar and I see this one biker who's loud and drunk, and he's staring at the back of my friend's head really intently. I mean, he's just eyeballing it hard, and he's got that pull cue. And something inside of me said, he's going to swing that freaking stick at my friend's head. I mean, and sure enough, he did, and, and the fight was on. But because I was aware of it, I was able to jump in front of the pull stick and and uh, and, uh, and block it and, and get the first punch. But I'm telling you, man, the targeted glance is huge. When somebody's fixating on something on your body or something about you, or maybe it's your friend, watch out. Yeah, totally agree, man. So yeah, I, I, uh, I sorry, I skipped over. I missed that one in the notes and moved on to the next one. But um, 
yeah, so moving much faster than everyone else on the sidewalk as if they're on a mission. Uh, let's talk about hands, man. Somebody uh, concealing their hands in a way that's not normal. Uh, do you ever conceal your hands, Rich? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I do all the freaking time, man. Usually it's in my coat pockets when it's cold out. I, I got my hands stuffed in my pockets. And, you know, that's for a couple of reasons. I got a can of pepper spray in that pocket. And also it's just cold, but would you say that violates the baseline of what everybody else is doing? It may violate the baseline of what everybody else is doing, depending on a lot of context. For example, uh, we talked about this earlier, the, the, the adrenal response that the body's going to undergo. It could make their hands feel really cold, even though it's 90 something degrees out. So if you see someone that, once again, we're in line at the bank, they're looking around. And they, I think the other thing I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm bringing this up is when you start seeing clusters of these behaviors, right? It's not just one by itself, but when you start, you're developing a picture going on here. Someone is dressed weird. They're looking around for witnesses. They're rubbing their hands. You know what I'm saying? Even though it's it's warm out. It's like, oh, this this is not good, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And I'll just tell you around here this time of year, everybody either has gloves on or they have their hands in their pockets. But if you see someone, would you say anywhere in the country it would violate the baseline if I had my hand concealed in the zipper of my jacket? Oh, yeah. Or, um, you know, was wearing an exceptionally long coat and had my hand tucked back in there uh, on the side of my body. That's that's not normal behavior. That's not how we, uh, or had my hand stuck down the front of my pants. That's abnormal concealment of the hands. And that may indicate that, that something's not right about that person, especially like you said, when clustered with, you know, looking around hypervigilance or witness glances or facial wipes or whatever. Yeah. So speaking of what the hands are doing, you know, there was a recent uh, video, I think it came out of Australia. It, it, it appears that this woman walks into a convenience store later to be, it was a trans woman, walked into a convenience store with an ax in her hands. Now there's nothing normal about that. You know what I mean? That, that right there is way above the baseline and people should have been getting out of the place but one guy she starts chatting with this one guy and he's chatting with her like this is completely totally normal and as soon as he averted his gaze uh to pay for his stuff she whacked him right in the face with that axe did you see that video uh, no i didn't oh my god i mean that guy's just gushing blood and she, and then she hits uh there, there's another woman with dreadlocks and she impales her right in the back with that axe and it's all right there for you to see. So once again, we've all been in convenience stores many, many times. I guarantee you probably none of our listeners ever saw a deranged-looking woman walk into a convenience store with a freaking axe in her hand. And if you do, get out. Absolutely, man. Yeah, anything like that that falls massively outside of the baseline. And why did that dude stand there? Probably uh, some things we're going to talk about later. Normalcy bias. Ah, it couldn't happen to me. There's no way this... We have an uncanny ability to rationalize stuff that that shouldn't be happening, right? Uh, yeah, and and that's something that uh, especially you know, it's like, well, I don't want to be rude, uh, even if you say, well, this is obviously abnormal, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to alert anybody or make this person feel uncomfortable. Hey, fuck them, they're making you feel uncomfortable. Well, and it could have been a a I I don't have any way to defend myself. I have no empty hand skills. I don't have pepper spray. I don't have, obviously, a gun if it was Australia, so I'm just going to be nice to this person and hope for the best. It may be, man. Well, I need to read on that story a little bit more because I think everybody survived that was struck by that axe, but uh, 
she ended up getting several years, as one might imagine. Another thing is sweating at strange times or open mouth breathing. What are those things telling us? Those are telling us that, that, again, that person is experiencing some anxiety, some nervousness, whatever it is that's that's making them sweat. Um, mouth breathing, kind of like a dog panting. Uh, if you and hell, man, this is like this applies to dogs as well as humans. If you see a dog panting when it shouldn't be panting, that's a sign that dog is nervous. And I would be very, very wary of that dog. Same thing with a person, man. They're trying to get more, uh, more uh, oxygen to perfuse their uh, blood to serve that uh, oxygen to their body because they're in, their heart rate's elevated and. Maybe they just ran a marathon, but probably not. And I'm so glad you brought the the dog into the picture because you know we've we've talked a lot about people, but you know, uh, you know, man's uh, relationship with dogs is it goes back tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of years. And we should all, if if you're if you live around dogs, you have a dog, you know what normal behavior is. If you get around a strange dog and it's exhibiting something above or below the baseline, you know that something's going on there. So. That's a great freaking point because this is this isn't just a self defense context like you said Justin at the beginning. I think you're right. This is about safety and preventiveness as well. And dogs, that, that's a little bit of a tough one, man. I have a, I have a German Shepherd dog, and obviously Jake the dog, the ATP shop dog. Uh, which, by the <laughs> way, check out the ATP about page to learn a little bit more about Jake the dog. Um, th- both of them have very very heavy coats, and they pant. I mean, even when it's cold out under just moderate activity. So that's not always a perfect indicator, but man, if, if there's no reason that dog should be panning and it is, it's probably nervous and a nervous dog is a dangerous dog. Yeah. Another thing I want to talk about was inappropriate touching. If someone is some stranger or someone you barely know is, is touching you, whether it's on the shoulder, on the back, whatever, oftentimes this is to desensitize you to the touch. And it gives them a reason to be in range of you. And one of the things that I went to a um, uh, LAPD defensive tactics uh, instruction, block of instruction, and one of the things that they would do is they would, if two responding officers would come up to a suspect, while one of the officers is discussing, another officer would come around to the side and would just kind of brush his arm in a very nice way, but it's desensitizing you to that officer's touch so that the next time I touch you, you probably won't think anything about it, but already I'm getting my arm bar prepared. I'm getting ready to, to sweep you to the ground. Well, predators can do the same thing, right? Definitely, man. And and uh this, this is one of those things that you should not let go. And back to what you said earlier, somebody that doesn't respect your personal space does not respect you. This is not a thing that you should let stand. They're being an asshole. There's no reason you can't be an asshole back at that point. And that's the concern that everybody has. Ah, I didn't want to be a jerk to this guy. That's uh, Have we talked about the book, The Gift of Fear, yet in this episode? No. Huh? That's one of Gavin DeBecker's first examples in that book. Phenomenal book about kind of explaining how to trust your gut and why fear is a gift and it does save our lives sometimes. But he talks about this woman who uh, she's coming home with some groceries and this guy, I don't remember the exact circumstances, comes up and says, hey, uh, let me help you in with those groceries. And she says, no, no. And he says, nah, you got your hands full. Just let me help you. So she demurs, lets him help. Um, he, and it, it just keeps escalating. And she said, yes, once it's easier for him to get a a yes the next time. And the next time he ends up, uh, 
coming in the house, pinning her down and I think raping her. And yes, I, yeah. I, I believe she got out of there. Well, she definitely got out of there before she was murdered. But basically that you have to nip that in the bud at some point. And if someone is touching you inappropriately, dude, that is a that is a firm red line in the sand. And we all need to have well-defined red lines of this is this is uh, beyond the level that I'm willing to tolerate. And that should be one of them, in my opinion. Well, and on that story, um, as I recall that story very vividly, it was like she had dropped one of the bags of groceries and one of the cans of dog food had rolled down the stairs as he was coming up it. So at first it was like, oh, he was very helpful because he arrested yeah. the roll and he carried it up there to her. And then, like you said, once he got her in the house by, like you already alluded to, Justin, but post-rape, I don't know if you remember how she knew and in, the, in hindsight he was going to kill her. He gets up after raping her on the bed. He walks over to the window. He closes the window. And he says, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to go make a cup of coffee. And as he turns his back and goes in the kitchen, she bolts out the door. And so uh, when, if, as I remember, when Gavin was talking to her later, he's like, how did you know? And she's like, I, I have no idea. Because when he was ultimately caught, they asked him, and he's like, yeah, I was, I was going to kill her. Because uh, he had been killed. He was a serial rapist and murderer. And um, she, he said, let's talk back through it. W- what happened? He's like, well, he got up. And he closed the window. Why else would he close the window? The window was open during the rape, but now, when things are supposed to be quiet and, and over, now he's shutting the window. And then why would he say, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you? Well, he had never said that before. And he's already violently assaulted you. So once again, Justin, I think the point here that you bring up is these things cluster, right? And as yep. they cluster, the weight of something's gonna bad's going to happen should be... Uh, leading you to make some decisions. All too often, it seems, and obviously I have no statistics to back this up because every incident that is avoided is one that is not reported and data can't be accurately captured on. But I I fear that all too often, people let those warning signs and indicators slide even when they know there's something wrong to not be an asshole, to not violate norms of what is appropriate behavior in a cultural context. Yeah. And I, um, I went to rad instructor school as a police officer, which is rape aggression defense systems, uh, really good course created by this police officer named Larry Nadu, but it was all about women's empowerment. And one of the things we taught the, the women and, and I've taught my daughter and my wife is as women in our society are always saying, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, let me get that out of your way. I'm, I'm so sorry. Please don't, you know, I'm sorry, don't don't touch me. Or if they even say that. So I always like, hey, don't don't say sorry for nothing. Get your hands off me. You know what I mean? Be assertive, uh, be empowered. And that's hopefully one of the things I want you to come away as a listener from this episode. You're empowered, man. Nobody. Nobody has a right to touch you unless you want them to touch you. Nobody has a right to stand that close to you that makes you feel uncomfortable. They're invading your space, right? Yep. Uh, And let's talk about another one, man. Inappropriate smiling. Um, I know that sounds, (laughs) you know, it's almost like the the kids from Covington High School with the MAGA hat on and, uh, and all that stuff that happened recently in the news. But what I'm getting at here is, oftentimes people will smile or laugh at inappropriate times like they're aware of something that you aren't. And again, that by itself may not be much, but when they're 
lightly touching you, invading your space, and laughing or smiling like they know something you don't, they probably do know something you don't. And I also think that's a leakage of anxiety, a leakage of nervousness. Sometimes people will laugh in nervous or awkward situations when it's not necessarily appropriate to laugh, but that's <clears throat> or, or smile, but that's kind of a, a it, it may not be like a knowing smile, but it's just a a weird natural response to uncomfortable situations sometimes. Yeah. Another one, um, I was going to say what it is, but I'm going to tell the story about the the police officer first. There's a, there was a police officer down in Texas, a guy named Constable Lunsford, and any of the LEOs that are listening right now are probably somewhat familiar with his story. Uh, Constable Lunsford stopped a carload of uh, Mexicans one night on a dark highway and as he gets one, and Constable Lunsford, as I remember, was like six foot eight, 300 something pounds. He was a big, older gentleman, <clears throat> but he relied on his size throughout his career to be somewhat intimidating. But he's got numbers against him. There's, like I said, there's three. And as he gets them out of the car one at a time, I, I guarantee, have you ever seen this video before I go on any further? No, I haven't. Okay. As the video unfolds, as I watched it for the first time, not knowing what was going to happen or why I was watching it, I start feeling uneasy and I don't know why. And only in subsequent watchings will you realize why, you know, Constable Lunsford should have realized something bad was happening. And that is one of the gentlemen he has get out of the car, takes his hat off and puts it back inside the car. Well, why would you do that? One of them like takes a watch off. One of them, or or multiple of them, start unzipping their coats, even though it's cold outside. Uh, those things they're not accompanied by words, but they're doing these actions. Why would they be doing those actions? They don't make sense. And as they cluster, something is about to happen. Right? Yep, absolutely agreed, man. And that, and taking clothes off to ready yourself to for a for a fight, man. Yeah. That's a that, big one. Yeah, big pre-attack cue and course. I, I mean, if you see five people walk into a restaurant in Duluth, Minnesota in January and take their coats off, that doesn't mean they're about to rob the place, right? No. It's it's context dependent. It's you know, again, back to clustering. Yeah. And if you're but if you're in a uh, uh, there's another really good one that Mike Janet showed at Marshall Blade uh, training this year, Justin. I don't know if you remember it. There was two gentlemen. Uh, one of them was screaming at another guy who was sitting down, and the girlfriend was in between them. And the guy sitting down is just completely – he looks like Buddha on the hill, man, just completely calm. And um, the guy standing o- over him yelling, the little guy sitting down just slowly takes his hat off. Was that the guys on the bus? Yes, exactly. Yeah. He takes his hat off, takes his sunglasses off, and like, and the guy just kept on yelling because he wasn't observing that anymore. Like that should have told you this guy's fixing to stab you to death, and he did. And and of course, Constable Lunsford uh, died, but his murder was captured on on his dashboard camera, and it was one of the first murders of a law enforcement officer ever captured on camera. And there's so many lessons for not just the law enforcement community, but but all of us. Uh, So. Might want to check that video out. Yeah, I definitely will, man. So uh, next one, feet never kill. You've got here in the notes, feet never kill anybody. Watch the hands. And again, I I would totally agree with. Well, I, I'd say you could kill someone with your feet, but you're right. It's it's the hands, man. It's the again hands being concealed. If I if I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt and my hand is tucked up under my t-shirt, that is not normal. There's something weird going on there. Uh, what else you got on this, man? Well, it's like 
uh, once again, people maybe are afraid to make eye contact, so they're looking down, looking at the guy's feet. That, that's kind of my point here. If you're, if you're not going to make <laughs> eye contact with them, if you're not going to look at their chest and see what their uh, body's doing, are they blading at you, at least look at their freaking hands. And like you said, Justin, what their hands are doing may be completely normal. They may be putting their hands up in like a surrender position, or they might be reaching for something, but you, you won't know unless you see the hands. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, all right, bodies. People will rarely blade their bodies to somebody else when we're if we're just standing having a conversation. I'm going to stand to you, facing you, pretty much straight on, chest to chest, and that's pretty much universal, uh, with the exception occasionally if if someone's nervous, they may be bladed away from you, like they or they're uh, back to the body language thing. You can watch people's feet. Uh, if their feet are pointed, you know, toward the exit or away from you, that generally, I mean, you can do this when you're buying a young lady a drink at the, or a young man a drink at the bar this weekend. If his feet are bladed toward the door while he's sitting there talking to you, he probably is just thinking about getting the hell out of there. But as far as body being bladed, that's pretty uncommon. If we're just having a conversation, that may be an indicator that that person's uh, positioned their body in an optimal position to uh, deliver a blow to you. Yeah, I mean, once again, let's talk clusters. Let's say, you know, this weekend you and Kai are going to the hockey game up there in Duluth and somebody comes up and, and asks for directions to the game and they've got their body bladed to you and they're doing looking around for witnesses and they got their hand, one hand inside the jacket. You know what I'm saying? Even though what he's saying is completely innocuous and completely normal, like he's aware that in this community we're about to have a hockey game and he's, he wants to know where it's at. So what he's saying is is fine, but all the other indicators are screaming that something bad is about to happen. And when it comes to that, what is his head doing? You know, is his head angled up or is his head kind of, you know, looking down? I mean, looking down. So yeah, is, he, he's is, like, he, is he tucking the chin? Yeah, exactly, tucking the chin. That's the word I was going What we're looking for here is that, unnatural positioning of the head might be the cue. Some some will look up. I saw that more than probably anything as being a bouncer to, to read a crowd and know who's about to throw a punch. It seemed like the guys that would have their chin up and their chest out, but that doesn't necessarily be the, fa- uh, the case. A lot of really good fighters may blade their body and tuck the chin so they don't get knocked out, right? I was about to say, man, I... I I was puzzled on that because I'm like, man, I don't know if I'd stick my chin out if I was about to punch somebody. But um, that probably goes back to more of a posturing thing than an experienced fighter, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. And one of the things on this, uh, before we get into some some of these other micro level situational awareness stuff is you can watch YouTube videos of attacks and develop and expand your knowledge of these uh, cultural baselines and body language stuff. But uh, my good friend, John Correa's YouTube channel, active self-protection. I really cannot um, endorse his stuff enough. He's watched thousands and thousands of these videos and he gives you a breakdown of what they should have saw, what they could or should have done with the ability of hindsight. So it's a really good channel and John's doing a lot of a lot of really good stuff. Maybe we'll have to get him on the show sometime. I'd love to have him on, man. I would say John is, well, I know he's watched tens of thousands of videos and every, I, what is it? Every single day he posts one with a, with a breakdown of, of what went wrong yeah. or what maybe went right yeah. in some cases. That's his, yeah, he was a pastor, but that's his full-time job now is uh, running his program and, um, I just love John's stuff. He actually came to mine and Mike's farms and started development course out in, New Mexico a year or so ago, and that's where I met him, and we've had him on our show, and he's just a really good American. 
All right, man. So um, one other thing that I hesitate to bring up, because at this point we are intensely close to a person before we start recognizing these signs and uh, or these these cues. But Rich, are you familiar with the concept of micro expressions? You mean microaggressions? <gasps> yeah, I am. So uh, a microexpression is basically this involuntary expression that your face makes in response to certain emotions. And uh, there's a book called Emotions Revealed by Dr. Paul Ekman. And, and how much do you know about Dr. Ekman? I don't. So Dr. Ekman, and these things occur in about one-tenth of a second, but if you if you actively look for these, you can see them, and you can train yourself to see them. I'm not so good. I haven't trained so much on this that I see everybody's micro-expressions, uh, but if I look, I can see them because I, I've been through Ekman's uh, training program. Uh, it, it Man, it's super, super cool. But basically, there's seven universal human emotions, Ekman posits, and uh, let's see, fear, sadness, happiness, um, contempt, disgust. How many is that? <laughs> um, surprise. I think that's all seven. Fear, sadness, happiness, contempt, disgust, surprise. Anyway, you, uh, you roughly get the idea here. And each one has a very distinct facial expression. Um, contempt. If I'm contemptuous of you, if you tell me something and I exhibit contempt, that's a unilateral expression You or an asymmetric, asymmetrical facial expression. I'll raise the corner of one side of my mouth only and kind of like kind of in a sneer. Uh, if, if I am contempt, um, uh, disgusted by something, I'll crinkle my nose up and it's, it happens very, 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 very quickly. Um, and again, if, uh, you know, if I'm having a conversation with Rich and I see him exhibit disgust, it might not be because he's disgusted with me. It might be because Jake walked by and farted and he smells that, but it, it, if I have a baseline to work with, I can extrapolate some information out of that. So I, I think that would be worthwhile for our listeners to, uh, to take a look at. Yeah, hundred percent. And I believe contempt is like one of the four big cues that your marriage is headed for a divorce. If you contempt, if you feel contempt toward your partner, have you ever heard of that? I have. And another thing I've heard that is a really, really good sign, a really, uh, <laughs> pretty reliable indicator that you are not in a good relationship is if either you or your spouse do this, but, uh, roll your eyes, uh, at stuff that other person says. Oh, yeah, totally. And these micro things are really good, like uh, pupil dilation and some of the other stuff, but they're really hard to see. Um, you know, I think once you, if this is your livelihood, whether you're a law enforcement officer, corrections officer, something in the government that requires you to navigate human terrain really well, this this needs to be what you study. But if you can remember some of the, the bigger, more, or vote, or, or uh, bigger, more overt things that we talked about, uh, you'll go well. But what what do you, you have in your notes here, man, as far as the, like the number one thing they need to be doing? All right. So we've basically just gone through a big, long list of looking at a specific individual uh, or being able to spot a specific individual that might have malintent or that something is not quite right about, maybe a person we want to look out uh, look out for. Let's talk now. I'd like to talk about a little more general situational awareness and how we can foster both micro level situational awareness back to what we talked about very early in the episode what's going on on the sidewalk with us, in the room around us, in the building we're in, whatever. 
and then we'll talk about some more macro level. But I'd say first and foremost, man, get your fucking head out of your phone. Oh, hundred percent. And dude, I I'm I know I sound like I'm on my high horse. You'll see me doing this occasionally. I'll you know I'll be you know kind of I'll be trying to coordinate something. And I'll be walking down the sidewalk texting or whatever. But man, I strive not to do that. And we talked about this in the in the defensive driving episode. I strive not to do this, man. And and we all do, you know. Um, but I think. You know, you cannot be aware of the cultural baseline if you got your head in your phone. And if you do have to have your head in your phone, I think it's a good idea to like, you know, you're, you and Kai or Lisa and I, one person's on the phone, the other person's head is up. You know, like we're, we're like a couple of meerkats, you know. One person's doing something, the other one's fully alert and, and involved with what's going on around us. I like that, man. That's that's a good strategy. And uh, maybe her and I will, maybe we'll have a chat about that, but... Uh, try to, I mean, obviously you don't have to formalize this of, okay, I'm done. You go quick. But, uh, <laughs> all right. Cover. But, but I, I, I do think that's a meanwhile strategy, man, or a worthwhile strategy. Um, but yeah, man, there's all kinds of problems with walking around with your head in your phone. Um, I, you know, there, man, there's videos everywhere. People walking into fountains, people walking off of subway platforms, <laughs> people walking into traffic, people walking into open manhole covers or whatever. You got to get your head out of your phone, especially when you're uh, when you're walking around, man. It's that little. Uh, we get that ping. We hear our phone vibrate, or we feel it vibrate, or we hear it ding, or whatever thing. And I've got people that I, I care about deeply. You know, they have different ringtones, so that oh, it's it's Lisa calling. You know, what does she want? Um, so we're primed for that. And I, I like Mary when I say, you know, do you want a treat? Mary will immediately start. Mary, my Irish wolfhound, she'll immediately start salivating. And so I try to avoid that because I'm like, dude, are you a dog? What's this Pavlovian response? I immediately start my self-talk. Like, don't look at the phone right now. It'll wait, you know. If I'm not in a position where I'm safe to make to get on that phone, then I'll, I'll start the self-talk. As soon as I feel that twinge of, oh, I, I need to check my phone. No, you don't. You know, you don't need to, to respond to it immediately. I mean, you and I grew up in a time where we didn't have a damn phone in our pockets. So I think it makes us a little bit more like you used to have to wait till you got home and check your check your uh, messages on your answer machine. And so guess what? Yeah, I saw an article the other day that said in 20 years, we'll probably look at smartphones like we looked at cigarettes because everybody's always taking smoke breaks to play around on their phone. Everybody's always fishing that phone out of their pocket like a pack of cigarettes and uh, a lot of the same kind of prime, you know, response reward kind of uh, kind of system that you have with cigarettes there. But um, yeah, the big exactly. thing about a phone, man, one, if you're walking around using it, you don't know where the hell you're going. You could walk into anything, um, it, especially if you're driving, man. I can't stress that enough. Don't text and drive. Uh, and if if this is a situation of self-defense, if you can't see your attacker, you're not going to see him. He's got the he's got the element of surprise working in his favor. And I, uh, for the listener, if you're wondering why I'm not saying his and her or whatever, it's because uh, violent crime is almost exclusively a male phenomenon. So I feel pretty justified in that. But um, he also can identify you as a distracted target. That's going to be easy to take down, easy to uh, to get the drop on someone who's also probably not a, a very trained person in the in the dark arts of uh you know physical hand-to-hand uh you know defending themselves otherwise why would they why would they make themselves such an easy target you, you make yourself look like prey is what i'm trying to yeah 
Get out. Yeah, because we we started this conversation off with talking about predation and and put yourself in their shoes for a second. You know, if they're if uh, every time a predator attacks, whether it's a human predator or something else, he has to to make that mental calculus: is this going to give me what I want with very little risk or damage to to me? So if he's looking at two targets, one is a man or woman whose head and eyes are up and out of their phone. They're they're very alert. They've got their hands, you know, they don't have their hands clutched around a bunch of shit. They got their hands open and ready to do something. The weight's on the balls of their feet. Or you got somebody else, one hand's clutching a Starbucks and the other hand's clutching a smartphone and they're chatting away and looking down. Who are you going to prey on? I mean, it's a no-brainer. They think the same way, right? Yep, yep, absolutely, man. Uh, the next thing we got in here is be especially alert in areas of transition. And, you know, this this reminds me, or actually I got the idea for this bullet from watching a video that Michael Janich showed. Uh, if the listener doesn't know, Michael Janich is the, uh, I guess, founder, originator of Marshall Blade Concepts, which is a knife defense system and has a very excellent period of instruction around that. But he showed a bunch of videos of people getting attacked with knives in his class. And there's this one where this kid is... Uh, I think working in a convenience store or something, and he walks out the back where it's very well lit, out the back door, into the dark parking lot, and these dudes are just on him like that. Because, one, you're you're moving from an area where you know what's going on around you, generally, to in, into an area where you don't have a clue what's going on, plus the lighting is different. You're going from a well-lit area that your eyes adjusted to to an area of complete darkness, and... Man, that guy didn't even, didn't stand a chance hardly. No, he didn't, and they were stabbing him like a 10, uh, 10 or 12-inch butcher knife all the way to the hilt in his chest. And uh, the, the statistics bear this out. I, I believe it was the uh, – dang it, I, I should have pulled this up. But one of the things we saw in the data oh, – man, I should have pulled it up. Anyway, was that these attacks are, are more than likely to occur – in these transitional spaces, i.e. parking garages, parking lots, on or near a roadway, on or near a store. So to me, that seems to lend itself to exactly what you're saying, Justin. So in those moments of transition, put the phone down, have your hands free so that they can react to whatever you find yourself in. Uh, You're not going to be able to see as good. You're going to be a little compromised, right? Yeah. And also look around, man, before you, uh, when you slide your car sideways into that parking garage because you're late for that dinner reservation or whatever, uh, you know, sitting there texting, Hey, I'll be right there. Don't just shove the, the door of your car open and jump out. Take a look at what's going on around you, man. If you're in that convenience store, look out that those fishbowl windows at what's going on in the parking lot before you step out there, man. If you're coming into that convenience store, take a look at inside the, and that hit, take a look inside and see what's going on. And that hit real hard with me the other day. Um, I was uh, driving to meet Kai, uh, and I stopped at a convenience store I was unfamiliar with. I needed gas, and I walked in the store and started walking to the register, and I realized there was a dude, like, crouching in one of the aisles that I had just walked by, and I, I was like, whoa, I did a double take, and it, it was just a dude putting chips on the shelf, but I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me, man? I Like, I should be looking around at stuff like that. Yeah, and you don't have to park there. You don't have to, you know, if, if something doesn't feel right, look right at, the, at that convenience store, that parking spot, you know, go somewhere else. You're not 
like you were saying, that that parking garage just doesn't feel right, look right, something is off. Maybe the lights aren't working in there. It's completely dark, and you're like, ah, I got a flashlight in my pocket. Keep moving. There's somewhere else you can park. You do not have to do that. The second, the thick, yep. yeah, don't, go ahead. Don't fall into the trap of I'm going to drive away from this guy that's approaching my car because I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be weird. Dude, like, don't fall into that yeah. trap, man. Uh, the, the next one we have here is listen to auditory clues. Uh, are there raised voices in a restaurant? Uh, do you hear a blade opening, a hammer cocking, a metal scraping or clanging? You know, are people whispering? That's another one. You know, it's not just loud voices. More often than not, if you hear p- people whispering and there's just like three or four people there and they're <laughs> and you're not involved in that conversation, that should raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I've got a couple of examples of this, man. In my old office... We had a we had a you know small company twenty something people, and there was one guy that was an FFL there that, uh, you know another guy bought a an AR fifteen off of him, and I was in a different part of the office building, and I heard the bolt, you know the sound when you hit the bolt release and the bolt in an AR fifteen goes home. It's unmistakable. Yep. yep. And dude, I stood up and and walked out of that room to see like I was ready for action, man. Um, and I was like, hey guys, like. I love the show and tell it's awesome, but you know, let, let's be a little careful with, with what we got going on here. Cause, uh, and, and, uh, just so happened that was the day after the Las Vegas shooting. So I was kind of mentally primed to be aware of stuff like that. But, uh, I, I was like, man, shit's about to go down. Yeah. <laughs> like it's nobody's coming to save me, man. Which leads really well into the next one, and that is be aware of the normalcy bias. You want to talk about that? I would love nothing more to talk than to talk about this, man. Uh, a lot of people think it couldn't happen to me. If you listen to interviews to a ton of people, just Google mass shooting, it couldn't happen to me. Google Las Vegas, it couldn't happen to me. Whatever. People will say, yeah, I, you know, I heard it and I thought, well... I, there's no way this has happened. That's got to be fireworks. That's got to be like, there's no way this is happening here. Uh, you, I would say have a bias for action versus a bias for inaction and justification of why that couldn't happen to you. Uh, man, it, it, it could happen to you. Anything could happen to you. So don't, if you hear that sound, don't rationalize it. Don't justify it in your mind as something else. Is that, that's a hard thing to get out of, man, because, you know, I even I do that sometimes. There's certain things I, you know, if I hear fireworks, I'm not like, oh, that's fireworks. I don't need to investigate that further. I'm like, I'm going to make sure that's fireworks before we, you know, before we go on about our day. But uh, what do you got on that, man? Well, I think you, you're right. You have to combat that normalcy bias or else you're going to fall into it. <clears throat> one of the things one of the other uh, bouncers had told me, or I don't know where I picked it up, but I'm pretty sure somebody told me is uh, he viewed every night like tonight's the night and um, so I'm like I I like that phrase so what I would do is when I'd walk out of my home I'd get in my jeep I'd turn the ignition switch put the seatbelt on and I would say a silent little quick prayer and and then finish it with tonight's the night you know whatever that means to you whether it's tonight's the night that I'm going to be challenged tonight's the night that somebody's going to try to kill me or whatever and then I carried it on into my LE career with you know, as soon as I put the uniform on, not even when I'm in my patrol car, but when I, as soon as the uniform goes on and I strap the gun belt on, today's the day, you know, and just leave it at that and start looking for anything in your environment. 
one of the things when you talk about the normalcy bias, and like you said, you know, the, the quote, it couldn't happen to me, or I didn't think it would happen to me. Strangers, uh, did a little research on this one, committed 38% of non-fatal violent crimes. And, and that includes, Justin, rape, sexual assault, robbery, aggravated assault, simple assault, etc. Meaning, 62% of these non-fatal violent crimes were committed by someone the victim knew. Uh, one stat I saw from from the period of 1993 to 2010, the rate of non-fatal um, well, I guess uh, violent victimization was committed by strangers had declined 81%. So these violent victimizations are on the decline, meaning you really need to watch for the normalcy bias among your friends as well. And I know that sounds crazy, but maybe not your friends, but definitely your acquaintances. And there's the sad case of in the news recently, Sarah Stern. Did you hear about what happened to Sarah? I, I did not. Sarah was a beautiful girl. Uh, she knew these guys from high school. They knew that she had inherited a bunch of money. They, the rumor was that she had inherited like $100,000. And these guys had been friends with her. Hell, one of the guys took her to prom even. And so she's in college now, and the guys need some money, and they decide... They're going to kill Sarah and get her money because the rumor was that she had this in a safe. So um, one of the boys that strangled her, and these are two clean-cut looking guys. You would never assume that they would do this. And they're like, yeah, we had to be friends with her for years to get her to put her guard down. And she finally did. And one of them timed the other one choking her to death uh, to see how long it would take to strangle someone. So, uh, again, I think if you look in the news, you're going to see more and more of this than what you would have thought. I think everybody thinks, oh, it's going to be a stranger. Not necessarily so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Very frequently it will not be a stranger. Um, You know, I was reading a statistic on kidnapping the other day. And, like, total stranger kidnappers, kidnappings almost never. It's such an incredibly rare phenomenon I wish I remembered where I read that. There's a ton of kidnappings of like custody dispute type kidnappings, but just straight up stranger, like pick some person at random and kidnaps them. Just the most uncommon thing you can just about that you can imagine. But Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. you're uh, absolutely right. I'm digressing a little bit there. One thing, one I, a bit of perspective I want to put on this is uh, the, the tonight's the night, today's the day thing. Uh, and and looking at everyone in your surroundings and looking for everything that could uh, that could go wrong and whatever, I, I think that's I think that's probably a prudent perspective for a law enforcement officer. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know that that's um, well. That's definitely not how I've lived my life. I, I'm I, I would say I operate in a again if we're going to bastardize Cooper Cooper's colors color codes, uh, kind of a, a state of being in the yellow. I'm unfocused alert if you know if someone starts uh i don't know if someone's acting weird around me i'm probably going to notice uh and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna take note of that person and and be aware of where they go what they do or whatever but um you know also we have to live our lives so this is this is striking a balance between just complete obliviousness and hyper vigilance right it is absolutely a balance and it's a thin line um on that today's the day concept is today's the day someone's going to pull out in front of me, you know, as I'm driving down the interstate. Uh, today's the day that <clears throat> a drunk driver's going to cross the center line. Uh, all those things, I think it makes you, uh, again, going back to the condition yellow, a lot of people think, 
well, you know, I listen to Rich and Justin and what they're talking about is that dark Walmart parking lot scenario. And I'm really not. I'm talking about where you feel comfortable at in your car going down the road. Uh, well, there's no predation going on here. It doesn't matter. The yellow condition, yellow can work anywhere, anytime. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. And I point taken, man, I do see that today's the day mindset is just a good reminder to be alert, to get your get your head out of your phone, to, to be aware of what's going on. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And so we're moving along here. Listen to your internal voice. And you had mentioned that earlier, Justin. Can you talk a little bit more about what you're talking about there? Ooh, this is a this is a tough one, man. Um, you know, I, I think you have to before you get to this, I think you have to have some more situational, have to have to be a little bit aware of what's going on around you. What is the, the cultural baseline? What violates the baseline in order to put this in action? Because if you're just like that guy has tattoos and a beard and he weighs 240 pounds, he's scary to me that that promotes hypervigilance, right? Like I'm going to be scared of this guy for no reason, even though he's, you know, maybe exhibiting no signs whatsoever of any kind of aggression or, or whatever. Uh, actually, I, man, I have a great example of that. Um, I was uh, teaching a class and there was, a, I went to the hotel in a conference room. I went to the hotel, you know, lobby bar area to get breakfast. And there's a dude sitting there in a Harley Davidson jacket with rings on every one of his fingers and a goatee and big dude. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to, talk to that dude. And he said something to me. He's like, Hey, I'm judging by your boots and the knife in your pocket. You're the instructor. And I was like, yep, you got me. And this dude turns out to be one of the nicest guys I've ever met, man. But just like, again, I had no reason to be particularly alert to that dude. I, well, we could sidetrack a little bit because tattoos and, you know, certain things kind of do indicate certain things. That's another topic for a big topic for another day. But, um, you have to know what falls outside of that baseline and what you should pay attention to in order to have an internal voice and internal gut to listen to. Does that, it, does that make sense? Uh, absolutely makes sense. And not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but you know, Sun Tzu, the, when he wrote the art of war, one of the things, one of the truisms that he has in the book is if strong appear weak, if weak appear strong. And I look at guys and, and I don't mean any disrespect to anyone out there, but men that, uh, join a motorcycle gang. You know, they're looking for a sense of belonging. They're looking for um, something that makes them feel part of a team and a community and a part of a tribe. And I think that a lot of those trappings that they put on themselves uh, may look scary to the outsider, but I look at it as maybe making them more fragile. And I, and I look at the opposite, like a Ted Bundy, who one of his things would do is make himself look like uh, you know, he would have a cast on his leg and a cast on his arm. And of course, nothing's broken. He's going to use that uh, cast to bash your freaking head in as soon as he gets you to get inside the van. So there are times when the predator will appear weak. I think you can't always judge what you're seeing. That's why, once again, look for the clusters. Is the Ted Bundy type with the cast and, and the really nice demeanor trying to get you to get inside the uh, in the vehicle? One of the things on that topic... Justin is. I saw a thing the other day, and I mentioned on our, on our other show about uh, psychopaths. And this one guy, you know, he was a clean cut looking guy, but he had did a home invasion on this woman. And uh, the the woman is in the kitchen, and as soon as she sees the guy, the stranger in her kitchen, she pulls out a knife out of the 
butcher's block. And she starts threatening with a knife. And he says, look, um, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. Put the knife down before somebody gets hurt. And he keeps telling her this over and over. So she puts a knife down. He takes it, picks it up, stabs her in the chest with it, and cuts her throat. And it's like, you know, because he immediately says, I start appearing, oh, my God, I would never hurt you. And I'm so sorry if I've scared you. Just look, somebody's going to get hurt. Put the knife down. Uh, Another one was a case where, I can't remember the girl's name, Megan, I think. She was on a hike with her dog. She come across a trail, Another, an older gentleman with his dog, and they, he starts chatting her. He's in her space. He ends up attacking her. She fights him off. And finally, he says, look, all I wanted was your ATM and PIN number, and if you just took me to the bank, I'm, I'm hungry, and if I could just get some money, I'd, I'd leave you alone. I'd let you go. And she let herself be tied up, even though she had won the physical fight. And, of course, the guy killed her. So you got to listen to your gut. And if, you know, if the gut is saying this, this still doesn't feel right, then it is not right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, man. Listen to that voice. Don't, you know, again, don't fall victim to cultural norms of, ah, I can't, I can't hurt this guy's feelings. Or, you know, this guy's saying he's not going to hurt me. So, I, man, there's a big tendency to disregard that body language and the totality of the situation and whatever. But anyway, we should probably move on. So uh, the next time or next situation in which you would want to be really flexing those situational awareness muscles is when you're physically compromised. Um, I, I would, uh, and I mean, it could be as simple as you're holding that phone to your ear and you know, your, your arm is currently occupied or you have bags of groceries on all your arms or you have a baby in your arms or whatever the case may be. Uh, could be when you're injured um, and you've gotten the notes here. It could be when you're impaired, uh, you know, from you, you had a wild night out at the, uh, out at the bar or you've, uh, you're on your uh, medicinal marijuana or whatever the case may be. If you're impaired by narcotics, by alcohol, by extreme tiredness, those are times when you're going to need every advantage you can possibly get. The earliest indicator you can get is the best possible one. So you can just avoid that situation altogether. That's when you really, really need this. Yeah. And that's where the, the, the DD, the designated driver really comes in. You know, the designated driver is in charge. You know, if, if, if I'm out getting, uh, burning it down or whatever, getting barbecued, having a good time, whoever that DD is, is in charge. If they say rich bro, time to go. It's time to go. There's no arguing. We're having a good time, whatever. They see something because they are cued into what's going on, and it's time to roll. And I'd never push back on that because they are the one that has all the mental faculties that I have allowed myself to impair. A sound advice, man. And if you're the DD that's letting your buddy get in a fist fight, you're doing a piss poor <laughs> yeah, job, man. Totally. Let's talk about some macro-level situational awareness. What do you got there? Okay, we, we have a lot less on this, but keep an eye on the local news. Uh, if you're traveling overseas, man, uh, check those State Department advisories. I think we talked about that in the Travel Like a Boss episode. Know what's going on. Uh, things I'm going to cue in on, cue in on, on the local news are if there's going to be protests, if there's going to be demonstrations, if there's going to be gatherings, uh, I want to be aware of, of weather alerts that are going on. And I'll have, you know, I'll, I, we get phone alerts for stuff like for big, severe weather events, but... I want to know what's generally going on. Uh, know your area. Know where traffic chokes up. Know if there's specific choke points like bridges along the routes that you take to get home. Um, yeah, I, anything else on that, Rich? No, I mean, other than 
it, I think you're getting at is, you know, what is normal and abnormal for your city? What is normal and ab- abnormal if you live in the country, right? Yeah. And if something abnormal is happening, if, if, I don't know, everybody's, uh, if there's a Occupy Wall Street, that's probably a dated reference. If there's an Occupy Wall Street function downtown, I'm probably going to avoid downtown for a couple of days. Yeah. So it's, it, it goes into, you know, understanding what the baseline is as, as a well of, as well as really queuing into what's going on in your community. Anything else? No, other than other than understanding uh, trends, uh, pre-incident indicators, which is a lot of the stuff we've talked about here. Um, like I say, we'll we'll have a ton of links in the show notes to all these books that we talked about. We'll have I'll have links to that uh, that Greg Elifritz article I referenced. Man, we I feel like we could uh, we could probably go down a few more rabbit holes here, but we're already at a little over an hour and a half, so we should <laughs> probably uh, probably cut this one pretty soon. Uh, so with that said, we ready to go into the book of the week? Yeah, let's do it. What do you got? The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a great book, and I, I think you probably remember this. You know what's funny? When I was relating that story earlier, and this is probably a testament to human memory, I could picture that woman holding grocery bags, and I could picture cans falling out of the bag, but I didn't put that in my story when I related it because I was, I was unsure of that fact. I was unsure of my own memory, but... Um, Man, this is a phenomenal book with a ton of examples about uh, how people didn't uh, heed that fear warning, that fear response to a certain stimulus, and ended up in a really bad situation because of it. And the the general intent of this book is to help you give a little bit more voice to that uh, that sense of fear and action it before it's too late. Yeah, I always thought uh, there was that fashion trend back in the '90s. You know, pe- these idiot guys would be wearing stuff says no fear i'm like hey man thank god for fear you don't want to i think a lot of fear gets a bad rap but fear is great fear is going to keep you alive fear is going to keep you alert yeah fear keeps you from putting your hand on that hot stovetop over and over and over again right yeah totally so great book pick up the book give it a read you will not be disappointed man you want to you want to take us out all right. Thanks to everybody listening to Across the Peak. We really appreciate it. Check out acrossthepeak.com. Go back to the show notes for the travel episode. Uh, the travel the ED, the uh, travel AAR that Kai and I did. Dude, I think there's like 40 photographs in there. Um, that's a good example of what we try to make all of our show notes. We've got a ton of extra content, articles, all kinds of stuff on there. Check that out. And do us a favor, man. If you know somebody that could benefit from this content, and I would submit to you that everyone could benefit from this content, but maybe I'm just being self-serving, pass, pass an episode along to them, man. Pick, pick an episode that, uh, I don't know, if you got a friend that likes cooking, send them episode nine, the cooking show. If you got a friend that just always watching the news, send them episode 11, the how to watch the news episode. You got somebody that's thinking about buying a gun, episode 26, man. Selecting your first handgun with Mike Seeklander. Uh, we are building a pretty awesome body of content that Rich and I are very, very proud of, and we feel like would help you out. So, uh, so please share that. With that, Rich, it is time for my new favorite segment, man. What do we got? George Washington's rule of civility number four. Number four. Yeah. In the presence of others, sing not to yourself with a humming noise, nor drum with your fingers or feet. What the hell is that nor, about? 
nor be the asshole in the conference room clicking a pen during the entire meeting. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> All right. T- talk to me about this one, man. Well, I, you know, I think it's being respectful of others. Don't be distracting to others. Like you said, if you're an instructor and you're up there giving everything you've got to this presentation and some asshole's clicking a pen away in the back, it, it is completely distracting and it's not helpful. Or if you're in the car with that person, um, maybe... I, if your favorite song comes on the radio and you guys want to sing it in unison, that's fine. But if you're uh, singing a song under your breath while they're trying to talk to you, that's just fucking rude, man. Don't, don't, uh, yeah, man, just, just be cool. And if somebody's doing that to you, I'll stop. Like if I'm in the, if I'm in the middle of a conversation, I can see that somebody's clicking a pen or tumming, you know, drumming their feet or whatever. I'll just stop mid sentence. (laughs) I I thought you meant you'd stop the car. No, no. Well, I might do that too, but I'll definitely stop running my suck and just start looking around. Oh no, go ahead. I'm like, Oh, you done? Okay, cool. And then I'll go right back into it. Well, and also there's another element to this, I think, uh, tapping, uh, nor drum with your fingers or feet. I think tapping your feet, drumming your fingers on the table can tend to kind of exhibit a little bit of impatience and disinterest with what that person's saying, which is quite honestly, a little bit disrespectful. Well, you're not, you're obviously not being an active listener. If you're doing that kind of stuff, you're, you're, you're annoyed. Uh, maybe there's some contempt going on. I don't know, but <laughs> maybe, I would say very possible. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man, we we got anything else on this one? Nah, take us out. Until next week, guys, remember, be safe, and if you can't be safe, be dangerous. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe, and if you can't be safe, be dangerous. 